Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Listening to Wake Up Hollywood with Nikki Corula and Eddie Pence, right here on LA Talk Radio. with the most uh we're here with another quarantine episode of wake up hollywood and we have the writer director and two of the stars of a very cool new movie called 11th green Laith burr christopher munch and campbell scott thank you guys for doing the interview guys pleasure to be here thanks for having us yeah so it's campbell, wonderful to see you all Likewise. Campbell, I got to start with you first because you were in one of my favorite movies of all time, Singles. I'm sure you get asked about it all the time. It's probably around the 20, I would say 25th anniversary soon, right? When is Singles? Singles is what, 91? Oh, so maybe it's 29 years. It's going to be 30 years. That's Good crazy. Lord. <laughs> Great movie, though, man. You made a very iconic movie. And uh, yeah, I, I was excited to just to ask you about that because... You know what? That's one of the best movies. And I, I love music movies. And you worked with some of the, the coolest people on that. And uh, yeah, congrats on, on making such a great movie. And you've made another one with 11th Green. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Uh, Christopher Munch, I'm going to start with you real quick, too. Uh, so how did this movie come about? You were the writer director of, of the movie. And uh, what enticed you to kind of come up with this whole story and storyline to make this amazing film? Well, I guess I could say that I didn't have a strong prior knowledge either of ufology or the Eisenhower presidency. Uh, but I guess like everything I've done, it came about sort of organically and inexplicably. And once I uh, delved into it, I continued delving far too deeply, as any of these guys can tell you. Um, so it was a very long gestation uh, over about seven years or so, but a very organic one. And I'm pleased with having, you know, walked down a lot of uh, corridors that didn't ultimately yield fruit uh, for the storyline. But um, ultimately, it was a, a distillation of a great deal of uh, a great deal of research and uh, consideration of how best to distill this big story into a little microcosm here. So were you a believer of UFOs before this project? And I'm going to ask every one of you this, so you better have your answers ready. <laughs> well, you, I think you have to make a, a, a distinction between a belief in UFOs. Uh, UFOs, their existence really is kind of an empirical fact at this point. The, the evidence supporting them is empirical. But what I think you probably mean is am I a believer in the extraterrestrial hypothesis? Right. And I believe that that is a hypothesis. Uh, the problem that many people get into is conflating the two things, uh, UFOs, which are a factual reality, and uh, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which is speculative. Awesome. Cam, what about you? Are you oh, a believer? What do you believe in, Chris? Both? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still asking him, even after three years and making the movie. 
<laughs> it's complicated, Campbell. Yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> Campbell, uh, what about yourself? Are you a believer? I am a believer. Sure. I I I think uh, mostly what I am is someone who um who refuses not to believe many things. Uh not only do I believe in the mysterious, I'm not sure what the paranormal means because I feel like everything's a little paranormal. Uh mm-hmm. but but um uh I I think life without mystery is kind of dull and uh so whenever any mystery, whether it's ancient or whether it's new or whether, you know, it's 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 presented in a kind of a, a hazy way or if it's from my own experience, all, all those times um, make me feel like it would be silly not to. <laughs> right. <laughs> and what about you, Leith? I know yeah. we talked about it a little bit before, but go ahead. We did. I mean, I've always been kind of a sci-fi fan, even as a kid. And I, I remember, you know, probably one of my earliest uh you know, ambitions was wanting to be an astronaut even. So, um, but uh, as, as, as we said earlier off, off mic, uh, I just, I just can't see how I think it's, I think it would be the ultimate hubris to think that this planet is it, the be all and end all and that all the forces combine just to make this one place, the place that can support life. And uh, especially in a universe that, you know, again, we can't even see. It would be like saying, you know, well, I can't see past Los Angeles, the Los Angeles coastline, so there must be nothing out there. It's just ocean. It's just L.A. and then ocean. Right. Like, that's that's how silly it would seem to me to say there's nothing else out there. But real quick, I wanted to go back to the hypothesis that Chris, so Chris, if the, if the, if the UFO you, you treat as an empirical fact, but how do, how would they, how would there be UFOs without someone to create the, <laughs> or the UFO, who's or, driving this thing or, yeah who's driving them how can one be empirical or are they organic or uh, yeah see well there what? there are a lot of questions there yeah okay. definitely right. a lot of questions there but i mean i i personally believe yes that we have been visited okay. but it's belief uh and i i believe in the the basic core story that our film presents uh right. i i do believe that eisenhower had face-to-face physiological interactions with representatives of one or more extraterrestrial civilizations but it's speculative mm-hmm. but yeah. i believe it <laughs> you're going with proof you like to see you like you like proof you like well that. i i don't like i don't like people who who assert speculative things uh as factual you know because many people in the audience are not that discerning and they they take things at face value if somebody says this and this and this happened mm-hmm. uh they they take it they don't dig more deeply and i think one of the big uh problems with this this situation and and the uh, uh society-wide dismissal of the ufo phenomenon is the fact that people are unwilling or have been unable to dig themselves and and form their own opinions there they take what they're spoon-fed you know right well i love that you know in the film too you have this parallel between you know president obama and president eisenhower having these you know, conversations about what, you know, is possible, what is real, what can the public know? How did you kind of, uh, what, how did you come up with a concept to disguise some of these kind of really heavy conversations by using the two presidents as the two kind of metaphors? Well, exopolitics, uh, which is sort of the relationship between the nation state and the phenomenon of extraterrestrial visitation, has always interested me a great deal. And presidential 
exopolitics have, have interested me because the institution of the American presidency is one in which we all invest so much, uh, so much of our aspirations and hopes and uh, ideals, really. So the idea of how an individual in that situation, of uh, uh, an individual of the people who is also very much uh, an individual of the national security state who has to deal with these questions, how would that person deal with knowing or not knowing all of the facts and uh, how might he take steps to um, advance the lessening of secrecy about it. So there are stories that have come down to us about other presidents like President Carter, who went into office professing a strong desire to lessen the secrecy secrecy surrounding this, declassify documents. He himself was an experiencer of a UFO event. uh, Wow, I didn't know yeah, he and Reagan both were were experiencers. So, uh, nevertheless, despite his Navy pedigree, uh, his ONI pedigree, he he was not allowed access to a lot of this information. Nevertheless, during his tenure, uh, the Freedom of Information Act was utilized successfully by a lot of researchers to obtain documents that provided incontrovertible evidence of the existence of UFOs. So, um, I, I guess that. Uh, the idea of two presidents together uh, rapping about UFOs, as it were, uh, really interested me because uh, here you have a guy who came decades later uh, when the secrecy and compartmentalization about this subject is so much greater than it was even during Eisenhower's presidency when it was already significant. So um, the question was, you know, how to how to have them have a realistic conversation about this without uh, resorting to too much um, shorthand, uh, which I think probably would have been inherent in any conversation between two presidents. So that's um, that's a roundabout uh, answer to your question, I think. That's a good answer. Campbell, you did a, a tremendous job portraying this character. And the coolest part about, you know, how the story unfolded was we were kind of exploring and, and discovering as your character was uh, I want to ask you, you know, when you're, you know, putting together your process for your performance, you know what's happening already because you've read the screenplay and you know your lines. What was kind of your process of kind of showing that, you know, disbelief and uncovering truths as it was happening to, you know, kind of make it so real? Because that was one of the things that I, when I was watching the movie, I was I was discovering truths as you're seeing these dreams and all these kind of conversations happening, but uh, you were kind of like the straight man that was just kind of, you know, capturing the information and, and uh, showing us as we were discovering ourselves. So tell me what was your inspiration behind that? Well, the inspiration is a script, you know, and, and when I first uh, called or when Chris first contacted me, you know, you always read something, you get a gut feeling from it. And I, I love to play uh, an investigative journalist because an investigative journalist is someone who, as you say, kind of stands in for all of us, or that's what we want them to be, or that's what we uh, wish them to be. Um, someone who who only wants the truth, right? It's so funny. Uh, I was just standing, this is totally a little off track a little, but uh, I was just standing with uh, like a guy who was working on uh, where I live near the house, really nice guy. And he came over and we were just talking about COVID and everything that was happening nowadays. And he said, uh, and of course, talking about all, all the different um, uh, uh, information we're getting about it and, and all the different feelings that kind of go up and down about, you know, a, a global phenomenon that's happening right now. And he said the most interesting thing. He said, I just want to know the truth. And he was a very, like, he was kind of like a, a local guy who wasn't, you know, he wasn't, he said, I turned off the news a little while back, but that's what he wanted. 
was just right. like, and mm-hmm. of course, as Chris would say, it's his responsibility to, to dig really and to kind of make his own, make your own uh, um, tower so that you can live in, right? Because we, because truth is is a little relative. Um, but anyway, playing playing a character uh, uh, like that is is a joy because you you get to, as you say, kind of uh, no matter whether you're filming the scenes in sequence or not, you get to uh, figure out. What would this guy really, really want to know at at the moment? Yes, he's going to try to shape it when he writes about it. Yes, he's going to try to dig deeper if he doesn't understand. But the the great thing about Chris as a as a writer and a director, as a, as an artist, is that you know these are all intellectual ideas, all the ones we're talking about. Even putting two presidents together like that, all these, and Chris is a, is is an intellect. There's no doubt. But what's so great is that his scripts hold a lot of. Um, uh, instinct in them, they and they hold a lot of, um, for lack of a, a, a better word, they hold a lot of heart, and so they're easy to act. You know what I mean? They're they're not they're not cold, uh, which is what we tend to associate with factual. And in fact, you know, knowing something is actually quite warm. I think uh, because it makes you feel like, oh, I have a place, I have a presence, I have a place to stand and look at something, and. Uh, with something like UFOs, you know, it runs the gamut from people who are terrified of the idea and people who are desperate to make connection. Right. And then all of us in between. Right. Uh, and and Jeremy, because it's a personal story and that's the, sm- the smartness of the script. You know, it has to do with his dad and all, all this other stuff. Um, he. We get to watch him pretend that he's remaining detached, but of course he isn't. And that's a. Uh, yeah, that's a great that's a great pleasure to to play. Well, you did a terrific job. Late, you uh, had some big shoes to fill playing President Obama, a president that much of the public still remembers quite well, and much of the public probably misses quite you know well <laughs> quite a bit as well. Uh, so, tell me what that experience was like. Did you reference you know kind of a lot of his speeches or you know some of the things that he was saying or press conferences, or did you just kind of go from the things that you've seen and, and want to take like a different approach. Yeah. I mean, I told people I was playing black Superman, you know, and, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, to, to um, echo Campbell there, you know, it was, it was very easy to do. I, I did kind of, it was easy to do because again, of the script and, and, you know, Chris did it, uh, everything there, there, are, I think two instances in the film where it's actual, you know, where I'm actually saying something that Obama actually said. Right. The rest is all imagined. One was like, there's a Kimmel interview and that really happened. And that was, you know, somewhat verbatim. And then there's a voiceover of a speech that he actually did that. So the rest was imagined. And, uh, and it was also very conversational. I'm, I'm, most of my time is spent with Ike. And uh, so, you know, it's really, you know, two presidents off the clock sitting down talking to each other, which is, going to be different than the public face of Obama that we see in all the clips and the speeches and the interviews even. He's still the public face of the presidency. Now, this was going to be something I'm, I'm not standing up to pontificate and represent the United States of America. I'm, you know, very casually. So, you know, public face versus private face. So watching the available videos wasn't really going to help me discover the private Obama. Um, so no, I didn't really watch a lot. And then there's the other part that I knew just from his eight years in office and what he meant to me personally and a lot of the country 
that I'd absorbed a lot of the guy, you know, and bear a certain likeness and have a vocal, you know, it was, it's not hard for me to get there. So I didn't do a lot of, it was, it was sort of experimental in my head. I was like, maybe I should, but I really had no interest in doing an impersonation. I really did not want to do that. So well, it was fantastic because the yeah. way you interpreted yeah. what the conversations were. I mean, I think that's kind of everybody's fascination with our government. It's like, I'd, I'd love to be a fly on the wall seeing exactly. that conversation. So it was great yeah. to see how you interpreted that. And they're different, you know, on, on camera and off camera. You know what I mean? Uh, we all are. And so, yeah, it was, it was a little bit of an experiment for me. I'm really happy the way it turned out because more so than probably any other piece that I've done, I really didn't know if it was working. I was just kind of trusting my gut and thinking it feels right. I think I'm doing this right. It, it, it all felt organic and real and true. And Chris was there. He was, I, I'm sure he was, you know, tapping me on the shoulder and pointing me in the right direction if I was wrong. But, and then also, you know, it is a film full of ideas and intellect. And, you know, it was really, you know, working with Chris, any, anything that you had the slightest question on, as, as you just asked his, his, his answer to your question just now, He's got an extent. He will walk you all the way. You will understand it from all sides by the time he's done with the answer, which is what you want. You know, it's like I said everything except for this. What do you mean by this? And he, by the end of that, by the end of his answer, your 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 feet are firm, and you're ready to ready to go in. You know what I mean? And it's it was it was a great experience. I loved it. Awesome, Christopher. I've got tons of questions for you as well. One of the things I love about the movie is you not only kind of combined one uh, philosophy or, you know, evidence of, you know, extraterrestrial life or UFOs, but you also bring around the concept of sustainable energy, which is like such a delicate issue and such a relevant issue with what's going on with the world. How did you like figure out how to balance those two in perfect parallels to tell this story? Because I think that's one of the things that made it so captivating was seeing these very timely issues with something that's been around for 50 plus years that we've been wondering about. Yes. Yes. Well, actually, could I just say something about these two gentlemen and working with them? Uh, I, it was a huge, huge privilege to be able to work with two actors of their capability and intelligence, because I must say that the screenplay going into the production was not uh, not in its final state and having these two men to go through it where something wasn't clear or where they felt, uh, it needed further, uh, explication and, uh, uh, possibly alteration was just an immense value to me. So to whatever degree the film is successful in integrating these different storylines and themes. Uh, I owe a tremendous debt to you guys, uh, not to mention <laughs> the joy simply of, of directing them and, and uh, working, you know, in, in the same environment with them was, was an immense pleasure. So I'm, I'm Thanks, extremely grateful. Um, but in answer to your question, I think uh, the topic of uh, exotic uh, breakthrough energy, if you want to call it that, was one entry point that I had into the story. I had made a short film um, about almost 10 years ago uh, that dealt with um, an outcast inventor, uh, an MIT professor whose work in so-called free energy had been suppressed, uh, where he was no longer able to practice that. 
And there are these colorful figures in our history, uh, inventors, uh, legendary inventors, some of the more famous ones like uh, Nikola Tesla, of course, or Stubblefield. Um, they, uh, uh, they had some remarkable ideas, you know, and, and some of them built these machines and uh, some of them worked. And nevertheless, there was not, <laughs> not uh, the climate for them to be integrated into society, you know, and to be, uh, to be utilized effectively, um, which isn't to say that any of them were ready to be rushed into mass production or anything like that. But when you're talking about UFOs and the visitation of UFOs to Earth, um, invariably the question of how they get here <laughs> comes up. You know, they're, they're obviously not running on gasoline. And so well, they get here and how are they so quiet? <laughs> <laughs> the flight, you know, the flight characteristics obviously are not uh, those of a conventional aircraft. So you really can't get very far in, in looking at UFOs without also looking at the question of exotic propulsion. And you can't get very far at looking ex at exotic propulsion without looking at exotic uh, energy, uh, free energy. So I had read fairly extensively in that area before I started the screenplay. And there was an urban legend out there that was uh, amplified, I think, by uh, a fellow named Paul LaViolette, a uh, physicist who wrote a very interesting work uh, called Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion. Not, not a title that's going to appeal to a scientist necessarily, but his work is nevertheless pretty rigorous. And he had looked very deeply into the question of... Uh, gravity control, uh, counter-barry, as it was known in, in the 1950s. And, uh, you know, the conclusion was that examples of this did exist. And uh, in any case, um, he proposed that around 2008, Boeing Aircraft Corporation had sought uh, to enlist support for declassification of certain uh, black world technology that could be utilized in commercial aircraft. Uh, both to benefit their bottom line as well as to benefit the environment and uh, customers. And they obviously were, were not successful with that. But nevertheless, it's another one of those urban legends that seemed to be a worthy point of departure for, for our storyline. So in our story, we, we build upon the idea uh, that was revealed in Aviation Week in the 1990s that the B-2 uh, Spirit Bomber incorporated certain exotic electrophobitic capabilities. Um, again, that's not officially substantiated, but there were a couple of engineers, uh, much to their own detriment, who, who went on the record with Aviation Week and discussed that in, in the 90s. Awesome. Campbell, when you were kind of, uh, you know, doing some of these scenes in these cool locations, like you had Palm <laughs> Springs and you had these outside locations, uh, what what was your thought process as far as you know how to un how to unveil that your character really knew that there was something else that was out there like you're watching these films that were kind of not uh, open to the public you kind of started piecing all these things together what was your uh, kind of your your mo in, uh, in you know conveying that truth and maybe conveying your own truth about the concept well yeah I wonder about my own truth right because you go into everything thinking. Uh, do I have some investment in this myself? I wonder. And of course, just like Leif said, you know, Obama meant something to me. Ike was kind of an interesting mystery to me. Um, uh, one has one's own relationship with one's father, all these things, you know, you, and I, I'm not a, I wouldn't consider myself a method actor. I don't really, I don't think I, 
attempt to uh, use myself in any kind of, I tend to go maybe from the outside in, but I really do hope something happens um, uh, that is surprising to me because I figure if I'm surprised then the audience will be surprised. Um, it doesn't mean you don't prepare and it doesn't mean uh, you don't ask Chris a million questions, uh, but it does mean you, you, two, two things were going for me on this one. One, it's an independent film. So you don't have a lot of time. Um, there isn't a lot of wait around time. <laughs> you are shooting, 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 shooting. Uh, oftentimes we were out outside just shooting, n- n- not even with anyone's permission. We were just trying to find places to, to go. And, and, and once we got there, calm ourselves down. And, and, and I absolutely love making films like that. Uh, there's something about it that, uh, you know, by the way, isn't always successful on screen, but most of the time is it, in, you know, it, inject something into the into the filming as long as everyone's game for it you know and everyone was um so agnes and i or or uh, I, i'm sure um uh, uh Leith and, and their scenes you know we were you know in a couple of different locations and stuff like that so all of that made it easy for me to look like a guy who was simply trying to uh catch up as much as he could at the same time being the kind of personality who always you know is trying to look like he's not catching up like he can shape what he's looking at and uh, that's why I love Curry, uh, Curry Graham's character so much because he actually is in the know a little bit. He plays the uh, what would we call him? He's a he's a intelligence operative. He's an he's an operative of some yeah. kind, though you never really find out in what kind. Uh, uh, and I love both Chris's take and Curry's take on it in that he he, uh, he, he that character of all people being the darkest character almost in the script is the lightest character in the movie. He's, he has this kind of light, uh, uh, almost effervescent quality about well, like, see look, at, look at what's happening, you know? Yeah, right. And uh, at the same time, uh, so that makes him hard to, to take uh, uh, seriously at first. And then of course you realize as you go that, oh yeah, he's the one we have to take the most seriously because he might know the most. Um, well, it was so great because you had levels to your character. There was the, vulnerability you know with your relationship with your father and then there was this uh this you know there's a part of your character that kind of dismisses a lot of this information too and then there's another part of your character that you're you're starting to piece together what it's like as you're piecing this information together you're also getting closer to your father and there's this like really cool a grasp on where you're from and how you are still growing as a person. That's one of the things I love most about the story is that you see this parallel with, uh, you know, current events and past events, but it's also a story just about human nature and like how we respond to family, how we respond to things around us, conspiracy theories and the government, you know, and you kind of manage to navigate your character in a very kind of stoic way that uh, it created a powerful story within itself so you you did it remarkably well and and what well, was one of the, and well one of the, i think i i really do i appreciate that you you saw it so clearly or whatever you know because you never know when you're making these things and you know one of the one of the things i i liked about um one of the relationships i liked is one that really can't be explored in the movie and that is between me and obama because actually and when i read that i thought is that going to fly like is that too coincidental is that too close is that too and uh because Leif and I never act together or anything like that but when you watch the movie I actually there's a there's a kind of a detached almost uh, 
there's like a wistful quality to the fact that those guys actually knew each other when they were younger right and uh can't really get together anymore yeah, uh, yeah. and i thought that was kind of actually kind of moving and interesting you know what yeah, it it's like the, that common thread you know between your two characters which yeah is- it was it was it was lovely yeah and yet they can't there's not they can't act on it in any way it's a, uh uh and yet they try to be uh uh, uh, they try to be connected in some way. I think they write a few letters in the film to each other or whatever, but uh, 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 they can't be. It's very, very intriguing. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and all those little clues were well placed, Chris, uh, uh, within the script of like from, you know, the the letter, uh, you know, condolences about your dad to a little bit of flashback, you know, and then uh, you know, Campbell. I, I I don't think he has a cell phone anymore. I don't know how to get into you know that you know. So every once in a while, you just get a little. You know, you touch on that relationship and you're right. It did provide kind of a wistful quality and, and it did sort of, you know, as an audience member just watching, you kind of want to see these guys get together. You know, you want to see them reconnect and you get a feel, you get a sense of their relationship even apart, though they're never on screen together. And it's really, it's a, it's a nice piece of filmmaking, Chris. Well, well played. Play the, well played congr- by you. Congrats on your Emmy nomination, by the way. Uh, I want to ask you, you know, there had to be a moment where you were looking at Eisenhower and thinking, holy shit, I'm looking at Eisenhower. Because, I mean, he looked just like him. I mean, there was so many there's so many parts of the story in those scenes with you and Eisenhower where it literally was a glimpse. It literally like it took me away from watching a movie for that for those moments. And you just saw these two presidents talking like people from different generations but you had to be in the moment and catch yourself a couple times because that was kind of mind boggling to see that. Well, the cast, it was so well cast. It was so solid. You know, I, I, when I, when I saw the film, usually the other thing about independent film is, is, you know, sometimes you're on the go and you're on the move and you can't get everybody that you want, you know, timing, whatever. And so there's, there's, there can often be gaps in independent films, casting gaps, I call them of like, Oh, well, that person wasn't great, but they were only in it for a second. Um, there was none of that. Every role, you know, was fulfilled beautifully. So there's no, you never fall out and say, well, that, what was that person doing there? And, and Ike, uh, a great example of that, of like, so when it's cast so well, and you have, like, as you said, I had to do, there was no imagination for me of like, remember this guy's eyes. I never had to say that because he was just right there. Right. He looked so, you know, and he had this sort of, you know, he, he, he carried it so well. And that's, you know, when, in what we do, it's such a gift, you know, because now I don't have to act because, because I'm across from such a, such a fine actor that I can just respond to them. And I just have to be present and be there. And, you know, it creates this, this energy cycle that makes for, makes for good, good film, good scenes, you know? Well, it totally um, made it believable. That's what yeah. I love about it. It's like it very believable. And it was easy to human. stand opposite yeah, I would I would second that. Yeah, George George Gertie's. Uh, I think he really did a wonderful job with the mm-hmm. Eisenhower character. He brought to it a certain uh, introspection, I would say, and even a, 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 a mystical quality that I think was very appropriate for this time in his life. Uh, uh, at the end of his life, reflecting back, and uh, it was a huge pleasure to to work with him, uh, and 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 also to work with the differences as actors between him and, and Leith and mm-hmm. uh, the other actors. Um, uh, he was very much an, an everyman. And I think he, uh, George really embodied that nicely. Oh, yeah. 
Chris, uh, you you chose some really cool set locations, one of which was the place in Palm Springs, and it almost kind of set the atmosphere. It became a character in the movie in a lot of ways. How did you find that place, or what was the inspiration behind, behind finding that set location? Well, for a long time, I was looking for a house that actually resembled the one in which Eisenhower spent his post-presidential winters in uh, Palm Desert, California, uh, which was a, a beautiful, um, uh, very long, uh, one-story rectilinear house, post and beam construction, very classical mid-century uh, house that was directly on the Gulf Fairway uh, at the club where it was situated. And we couldn't find anything like that. Um, and the historical houses in Palm Springs that resemble that, you know, were of such a, an age and delicacy that Rightly, it wouldn't have been appropriate to film there. You know, even a small production like ours still leaves a big footprint. So uh, as it turns out, there was an architectural blog uh, that had uh, featured a particular house uh, that was built in 1958, uh, not on a golf fairway up in the hills, uh, that nevertheless was extremely distinctive uh, and beautifully finished and in effect a kind of time capsule because only one family had lived there since it was constructed. And our production designer, uh, very talented Jennifer Gentile, uh, saw this and she and I both kind of went crazy and uh, wondered if it could work for our movie. Unfortunately, it had just been sold and it was still in escrow. However, the day that it closed escrow, she contacted the new owners of the house and asked if there's any way they could delay their remodeling of it for about a month so that we could get in and rent it and film there. And it turned out to be just... Um, the really perfect place and actually has a lot more character uh, that comes across on screen than Eisenhower's actual house might have had if we had been able to film at somewhere very similar to it. So I'm just extremely grateful that that house became, in effect, a character in the movie. And I'm very grateful to the family that lived there all those years and kept it as uh, authentic as they did. You mean the carpet is what you're talking about. <laughs> I knew you were going to get to the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was the original carpet. <laughs> the carpet definitely added to the time capsule of the entire place. So you really could believe the, the decades of, of stories that were going on through that place. So it was, it was smart to choose that place. Campbell, I've got a question for you. Had you ever worked with Agnes before? And what were some of the... Uh, synchronicities that you you both had together with your characters uh, uh i lost you i lost your audio there for a minute okay can you still well, uh what i was saying is had you ever worked with agnes before and uh while you were working together what was some of the the synchronicities you guys had in kind of creating this this budding romance and also maintaining the the truth of the story what was that? What was that experience like working with Agnes? I loved Agnes. I had never worked with her before. I knew of her from a couple of other independent films. Uh, once Chris told me that she was the uh, the other uh, was the lead, one of the leads, and um, uh, I loved her. I thought she was very serious, uh, which was great to find in a in a in a youthful person. When I watched the movie, honestly, I and I said this to Chris a couple times. I was like. I don't know, man. I'm a little old here for this, for this, being this position. Is this going to just look? And I think, uh, but I think we just made it. And I think uh, a lot of that goes to Agnes. There's something so actually mature about her. And, and, and I don't mean old when I say that. I mean a kind of a, there, there's a real presence there and a real, um, 
and and a real intellect in 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 a cool way so that so that whenever we had scenes that that uh so let me say it more clearly uh so that what we expect to happen while we're watching because this is the man and the woman even though they seem you know one could could be the dad of the other or or the uncle of the other we we um and by expect, I mean, we expect, uh, as you say, some some romance to happen there. It actually gets quite delayed in the film. Right. And, and it's a little and it's a little hazy, too. And I think we all liked that. Um, it wasn't this. Um, uh, oh, let's let's drop our guards and let passion flow. It really did seem like two people who were not necessarily in the right time in their lives for any kind of involvement with anybody. Uh, and, uh, Agnes played that and I played it and, 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 and that makes it all the, I don't know, more interesting or, or hopefully satisfying to see when they actually do reach out to each other a little bit. And it's just a little bit, mm-hmm. um, uh, that, 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 is, that is rewarding and also kind of seems true. You know what I mean? And she yeah. totally, she nailed that. She, she, something about the way, you know, there, there are a lot of actors who probably, wouldn't be either interested in doing that or would show that to show it, show something else too much. And she didn't, she was right there with us the whole time, which was lovely. Well, it was cool because you both showed restraints, which is I think one of the most powerful choices you can make because it's like not letting everything just kind of happen all at once. You both had conflict at different times while it was happening. And I think that's what made it also more human, more real. And I think that's, what everybody searches for in a story. So I loved how, you know, your characters interacted and how that story kind of unfolded. It was, it was definitely one of the most uh, important parts of it. While you're discovering about UFOs and sustainable energy right. and all that. Yeah. Let very that- kind of you. I mean, uh, speaking as an actor who often is written up about as being relatively dull <laughs> <laughs> and I can point you to the reviews like uh, restraint is a lovely word. Thank you. Nick. <laughs> No, that it really is the most powerful choice. I find that, uh, you know, I'm a musician. So when a musician is playing guitar solos and they show you every lick they've got in the book, yeah. that doesn't move me. It's it's I'm like you. when you know somebody can has the chops and they don't show you the chops, yeah. that's the true kind of sign of, oh, this person is a badass. And you both showed that, you know. I so couldn't agree. And, and musician is, a, is, is the perfect way to see it because it's all, you know, it's all happening in front of you and you're listening to it. And you're right. Sometimes what they leave out is what totally knocks you over. Yes. You know? yes. Well, you guys, you guys had that. Late. I wanted to ask you, what was your auditioning process like for this? Because you had to hear what there's a there's a there's an opening for Obama. I'm on this because no. you. I mean, it, was, it didn't take very long to understand who you were in the movie, but uh, you. I had to. I had to ask what your auditioning process was because. It had to be, you had to put something together that you knew was going to work. Well, I'll tell you, uh, again, I mean, my my non-COVID working, you know, I'm usually shaved and, and, and crop, cropped hair, haired. So, you know, again, back to during the whole presidency, his presidency, uh, when I showed up in a suit, you know, I'd get it left and right. I was like, wow, Obama, Obama, Obama. So all that to say, I knew one was coming, you know. And I put myself in the position, you know, I knew, I, I said, okay, so this guy's, this part's coming my way at some point. So uh, 
I had to decide what that was going to be, or at least I wanted to try to decide what that would be. And as I said before, I knew I didn't want to do a, an impersonation. So I didn't want to do, you know, the Barack and Michelle story or even a story of his time in the white, you know, I want, I knew I didn't want to do, I didn't mind it being factual, but I just knew I didn't want to do any verbatim thing. And then this came along and it was all imagined, you know, and, and interpretive, you know, so I said, oh, well, that's interesting. That would be a good way to get my, so I, I kind of had it in my pocket of like, I know I'm going to play this guy. I, it's just a question of what it's going to be. And then this came along and I thought, there it is. That's perfect. That's the way I want to do it. And again, I would like, I don't, maybe Campbell can relate of like, sometimes a script crosses your desk, whether it's a play or a film or whatever, a character crosses your desk and you just say, oh, well, that's mine. Like I'm, you can stop looking now. I'm doing this. It doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes you just try to get up confidence, but sometimes one does land. It's happened to me a handful of times with both theater and film where I'm like, oh, stop looking. I'm going to do this. And they say, hi, you still got to audition. I'm like, okay, you know, if you want, but I'm telling you, I got this. And that's how this was. It just came across my desk. I read it. I said, I got this. And I was the first one to audition. Wow. It was the very first audition. I remember I was waiting in the waiting room and the casting director came in after me to the, to the offices and was like, oh, okay, give me a minute to set up. And I went in, she's like, we're just starting this casting. You're the very first person I'm seeing for this film, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I did it and she gave me the callback information on the spot. And then, you know, I remember meeting Chris at the, at the callback and even, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just know. And well, the crazy I, thing is, even even in this interview, you have inflections of his speech. Yeah. So I can imagine Christopher watching your audition, just thinking, yeah. I think we got him on the first. This, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you don't need to see anybody else because you just had the look, the vibe, everything. And it was the, first the sound of his speech, because that is one of the most captivating parts of him, you know? Yeah. And then and then having that having that feeling of like, I know I'm going to do this gave me that ever elusive Obama confidence as well. You know, I mean, the guy is nothing if not confident. So I could be, I had his confidence in the room because I really just did felt, I mean, and I'm not, it doesn't happen. Like I said, I mean, I can count maybe three, three parts that I felt that way and actually gone through and done them. Um, sometimes I feel that way and I'm kidding myself, but, um, but every once in a while you connect and this was a, this was a, a connect first pitch. Well, you nailed it, man. You nailed it. <laughs> Christopher, uh, you one of the cool things in this film is you pieced together some, uh, you know, archival footage of UFOs with, you know, a missile. Um, one of the things I want to ask you was, you you know, the, the, the government has released some footage of UFOs as of late and all kinds of things are coming to the surface. What kind of videos or footage or things about UFOs? were compelling enough for you to make this movie and to kind of use that as part of the story? Well, I knew that there would be instances where we would want to show historical UFOs. Um, and I knew that we would be doctoring some archival material to do that. But it was really tricky trying to figure out what those objects should look like necessarily. So the end result in the film, I think, is that there is a certain low-tech and retro quality to the 
uh, maybe that's a polite way of putting it, that there's a certain um, non-high-tech quality to the, the objects that, that we depict in the movie. Um, I mean, there is an abundance of fascinating visual reference for UFOs that, that's out there. Uh, there's a fellow, in fact, uh, uh, the Mexican uh, researcher, Jaime Mossan, I believe is, is his name. He has a, a very popular television series, and those have actually recently become available, available in the United States, I think on Netflix or Amazon Prime. So you can actually see some of the best uh, footage that now exists. Obviously, um, in this day and age where the um, ability to, to manipulate footage is so uh, prevalent and so easy, um, the authentic uh, becomes uh, a blurry line. What is authentic and not becomes, becomes a blurry line. So looking at historical photographs of US UFOs from earlier in this century, and or, sorry, earlier in the 20th century and even in the 19th century is generally considered to be somewhat more reliable <laughs> in terms of uh, ensuring that you're looking at something real. But really, it's, it's all over the map. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the process of sort of considering what archival material to utilize in the film was a, was a really rewarding one for me. I mean, I, I enjoy that immensely. I, I did another movie that also utilized a great deal of archive material uh, seamlessly, though. Um, that was called uh, Color of a Brisk and Leaping Day, uh, which is, a, despite its title, uh, well, maybe because of its title, uh, it was a period landscape uh, film that took place in the 1940s in Yosemite National Park. But that utilized uh, some old studio, you know, footage of, of trains in, in pristine condition. You know, again, it was integrated seamlessly. So in this case, uh, I got to spend, you know, many uh, sessions at the National Archives in, in College Park, Maryland, just going through thousands and thousands of feet of beautiful footage shot by military cameramen uh, in the services um, in the 1940s and 50s, and trying to imagine how some of this material might be used to express the ideas we were trying to express, uh, even though none of it obviously was used in the context uh, it was originally documenting. Um, it was repurposed in a way that I think uh, hopefully is, is provocative. For instance, there's a scene where uh, Eisenhower is talking about men, uh, good men who were having reactions within themselves that they couldn't understand and they couldn't even begin to control. Uh, one of the individuals that we see at that point, you know, is, is Hoyt Vandenberg, uh, the famous uh, general who uh, famously uh, dismissed uh, uh, an estimate of the situation of flying saucers that was given to him in 1948 and, and instructed it to be rewritten and allegedly was one of the members of the special studies group that sort of dealt with this, this phenomenon after the war. But there was a, uh, a piece of film of him just sitting there waiting for an interview to begin. <laughs> and he was, uh, or a press conference to begin. And he was just very uncomfortable. And, and at a couple of points, he looked over in frustration and anger off screen. And, and uh, uh, so for me, that, that really embodied, as did the other piece of film in that, in that uh, section involving uh, uh, Gordon Gray, uh, who was another alleged member of that group. So, uh, Although I went into looking for the footage with certain ideas of what we needed, obviously that evolved, you know, once I, once I delved more deeply into what was actually available and what could be made to work. 
I'd have to ask you, what was the significance of the title 11th Green? I know Eisenhower said it in his speech, but what was the significance for making it the title of the movie? The only significance is that uh, this was the location of his actual house in Palm Desert. Uh, it was situated right on the 11th fairway of the golf club uh, of which he was a member. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I was I was questioning all, I was trying to find the conspiracy in the title, but that's good to hear. It was just that simple. I'm going to ask a question for each of you as we wrap things up. What is the one thing, we're going to start with you, Campbell, we'll go with you, Leith, and then we'll end with you, Christopher. What's the one thing you want viewers who see this movie to come away with? Uh, oh, well, who knows, right? Um, it's so funny, you, you, you do a job and you make things and then they come out much later and you're trying to remember what you felt at the time and what you wanted at the time and et cetera. Um, I, I feel like personally, um, I always like it when, uh, the lights go down and a movie becomes the audience's and not yours anymore. Uh, that is something I relish and I depend on. Uh, it's a little scary now because there's not many audiences really anymore. Uh, uh, and, and I do mean an audience of people who are in a room together because there tends to be something that happens there. Um, and, and, uh, uh, so a movie like this, this is, this is where Chris is so smart and why he's someone you want to work with. A movie like this is a movie that has a lot of, uh, what would you call them? Uh, immediate buttons for people. You say, UFO, you say uh, in, uh, military industrial complex, you say, uh, as Chris did before, operative, uh, you say all those things, and we all have both through movies and through art and also in our own readings and our own lives, we all have these kind of immediate uh, reactions. Um, and most of them are pretty, I, 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 and I'm speaking for myself, are pretty shallow. <laughs> And so to get to spend two hours watching a few people actually kind of live through uh, um, uh, or, 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 or work through uh, an actual uh, exploration of what these things might. Uh, oh, oh, and you said uh, uh, free energy, too. That's the other one. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, an exploration of, of, of what these things might mean to us and what they is, is a, is a, is a privilege and a, and a, and a joy. Uh, is anything answered? Nope. But you know, did Shakespeare ever answer anything? Not really. He just asked questions really well. Yeah, it seems yes. to me. Um, uh, uh, as soon as you answer questions, your movie's over. So, uh, or, or your, 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 your work is over as soon as you answer anything definitively. Um, uh, it doesn't mean that we don't deserve answers and truth, but they're always going to be relative. And, uh, I think this movie really does a great job of, of putting us there in that, in that suspended place. You know, I agree. Lathe, what about you? What do you want people to leave with for this movie? You know, I had a very personal, personal goal, which I have a, I have a younger brother who, who really digs deep into uh, not just this, but all kinds of stuff. But you know, he's he's a seeker and and, and really goes a, a, a great. Uh, he 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 digests a lot of information. And so, 
I really hoped that I was making something that would get his seal of approval. That like, yes, that's it. I've been trying to tell people. And I got that. I showed it to him. And he liked and, and that was his response. So my 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 goal was achieved. I just and I just like people to, you know, ask some questions. Yeah. I think it, I, I think this is a great film for people to, you know, I watched it, I, I saw a screening with my wife and we had, you know, we had a long drive home from Palm Springs and and uh and she had questions all the way home about so okay, so Forrestal, what was that? And you know, this and that, you know, so she was asking questions, some of which I had the answer to, many I didn't, but you know, uh <laughs> Chris there in the car with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wish. But uh but yeah, ask questions and I got a thumbs up from my young my baby brother, so I, I was good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you guys will appreciate I'm wearing my Stranger Things t-shirts. There you go. <laughs> in, in honor of the interview. Chris, you you came up with this film as a writer and a director. What is the one thing you want your audiences to to leave with when they're watching this film? I would hope that they would uh, perhaps be inspired to maybe uh, examine their own reaction to this subject, you know, uh, to the phenomenon of UFOs and even the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Um, because we really are, I think, in society indoctrinated into thinking in an uncomfortable way that is masked perhaps with the giggle factor, you know, and I would hope that the film in some way stimulates perhaps a a broadening of that. What Campbell was saying earlier uh, resonates really deeply with me. Um, And I thought of a quote that I had hanging behind me that I was trying to get down uh, by James Baldwin, you know, one of my favorite, very favorite novelists. Um, He says, a story is impelled by its necessity to reveal. The aim of the story is revelation, which means that a story can have nothing, at least deliberately, to hide. This also means that a story resolves nothing. The resolution of the story must occur in us uh, with what we make of the questions what the story leaves us with. Give me chills, man. I love that. (laughs) A plot, on the other hand, must come to a resolution, prove a point. A plot must answer all the questions which it pretends to pose. Job well done. Well, one more time before we sign off, uh, just announce the release date of the film and how people can see it. Yes, uh, the film is opening on uh, June 26th, this Friday. Uh, It's opening at a theatrical at home website. Uh, But the easiest way to find it probably would just be to go to my website, ChristopherMunch.com. And uh, there'll be a link directly there that will take you to uh, to the portal where you can where you can view it. And in the process, you'll be supporting a theater who will be splitting the money uh, with us uh, the same way as if you had attended a theater screening in person. So although the experience is different, it'll still have a positive uh, economic effect on the theaters. Well, gentlemen, you have a new fan of your film. I hope to see you guys do more films together. And uh, I look forward to many more projects that you guys will be a part of because uh, you know what, that's what this is about. This is about showcasing and putting a spotlight on you know, things that are maybe under the radar that, uh, you know, invite questions and and show great performances and make a great artistic statement. So thank you for doing what you did. The greatest accomplishment of all is you made the movie. Now it's out. And uh, I hope it, it does incredibly well. So thank you guys for taking time to do the interview and uh, stay healthy, stay safe. And I look forward to, to seeing what happens with this movie and many more. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks thank you, Nikki. Thank you. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your days, guys. Boys, be well. Good to see you all. Chris, Chris, my life. Yeah, it's, stay safe. It's, stay it's great to see you both, girl. guys. Thank Talk you. Soon. Thank okay. you, Nikki. Yeah. Right, guys, of course, of course. Okay. Take care. Bye. Thank you.